it's time to look at this. Don't give up. Hope wins. Love wins. And I've I've changed the subtitle for the last part of the series. Um, I want to talk about focusing on what matters. And we're going to do a very, very brief recap on last week. But before I do, I want to read a really cool thing from Henry Nouwen that came in uh, a week or two ago. It's called Being is more important than doing. And when I when I read, I went, oh my goodness, this is great. This is like the basics all summed up into a mini devotional. So I thought I would share it with you because it's, it's a neat um, reminder. So let me just share this with you. I suspect that we too often, too, I suspect that we too often have lost contact with the source of our own existence and have become strangers in our own house. We tend to run around trying to solve the problems of the world while anxiously avoiding confrontation with that reality wherein our problems find their own deepest roots, our own selves. Hmm. In many ways, we are, like the sh- uh, we are like the busy executive who walks up to a precious flower and says, what for God's sake are you doing here? Can't you get busy somehow? And then finds the flower's response incomprehensible. I am sorry, but I'm here just to be beautiful. How can we also come to this wisdom of the flower? That being is more important than doing. How can we become, sorry, how can we come to a creative contact with the grounding of our own life? Who is our source? Our source is Jesus. That's the whole point. So if this, if this pandemic time has given you a downward spiral or if you're stuck in a spin cycle of despair i want to encourage you that don't give up hope does win let's find hope love wins and that means rediscovering what love is and who love is so that's why i like this picture that's on the screen there with the that lighthouse whatever on with a storm coming at it it's gonna withstand the storm it's been built to do that so storms will come but our anchor is solidly rooted in who jesus is so if we're going to find hope what is it that we ought to focus on if we want to find hope in difficult times that was the previous subtitle so we last time we talked about being thankful the importance of thankfulness, uh, and then the importance of how we see God and how God views us. I think there's a huge disconnect um, when it comes to, first of all, how we see who God is and all the misconceptions that are associated with that. I've spoken on that many times over the pa- in the past. Um, but also uh, how God sees us because our, our concept of who God is and how God sees us works itself out in our everyday life. Um, just like in the story of Jonah, I don't know if you caught that, but they said, hey, what do we need to do to stop this storm from coming? They, they obviously had a belief in a deity that was angry and punishing them and they could do something to stop it. That was pure paganism. That was pure, that, that's what they believed. In, that, in fact, listen, there's a lot of people in the church world that believe that. They really do. They think that God um, blesses and curses. Uh, it's like that's uh, sorry to say this, but that song he gives and takes away. Oh, I'm sorry. If you think about it, the theology is terrible. Oh, I hope we can correct the words if that song comes up. I like the tune of the song. I like the, you know, it's fun, but the words just are, I think, incomplete. I won't say inaccurate, but inaccurate incomplete 
And uh, if that's our perspective, that what we do can affect God in, a, uh, in how he sees us and how he acts towards us, either sharing love and showering love or withholding love, that is pure bunk. It's pure baloney. Um, and you can make your own list if you have a good thesaurus. So let's, let's take a look. And again, back to Jonah for a minute. He said, I know you're gracious and kind and slow to anger. That's what Jonah said. Well, here in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. I saw a post this week from my friend Richard Murray. Uh, Richard and Bill Thrasher um, join me on a weekly program, um, not every week, but a lot of weeks. And we, we have discussions on different topics. We've talked about, you know, hell. We've talked about um, uh, spiritual things, or spiritual warfare type stuff. Um, uh, but we've been talking about heaven lately. We started our first session last week. This week we're going to air session two. But this week he posted something like, um, if you, uh, some of the, the, the images that are portrayed of who God is, uh, if we don't bring Jesus into the picture of the Old Testament, we're going to have a very confusing image of who God is. All right. Um, I wish I could find the post, but the, the essence is this. If you put in Jesus uh, and say, hey, uh, and, and instead of God, you know, God commanded they smite every person and, you know, kill off all the children and animals and last thing. Put Jesus in there. Jesus commanded that, the, can, does that work? Or does that create a, an uncomfortable, wait a minute, that, Jesus wouldn't do that. Exactly. Exactly. There's something incomplete. I think there's a, a shattered image in the Old Testament of how they perceived God. What they wrote is true. They believed it, but I believe it was incomplete and inaccurate at points. And if we don't use Jesus as the measuring tool for uh, believing who God is, because Jesus had the closest picture, and he had a lot to say about that. He said, hey, if you've, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we're the same. And then he also said, hey, no one has seen the Father. So some of these uh, impressions uh, from the Old Testament um, about who God is, some of them are really incomplete and wrong. And in fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said this and this and this. And he's, he's listing off written documentation from the Old Testament. He's, he's calling it out. Basically, it's wrong. It's, it's a false perspective. But that's what you believe. But I'm here to correct that lens. So I encourage you and I to take Jesus with us back into the Old Testament. And you're going to see that there's some things that were just, hang on. You know, it's like David uh, praying, God, take off their heads, you know, and um, smite my enemies and blah, 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 blah. Um, call down fire on, on people. Well, listen, Peter and uh, I forget who the disciples were. They were telling Jesus, hey, let's call down fire on these folks that are giving you a hard time. And Jesus said, what? Are you kidding? That, that's not how I roll. That's not how my father rolls. What are you talking about? Oh, must have been an old story you heard, a false concept of who my father really is. Jesus came to reveal the father. Jesus is the exact and perfect representation of who the father is. Every other message is incomplete. Everyone. So I think that's pretty powerful. What else? Concept of God. 
Titus uh, 3, verses 4 to 6 says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, <laughs> he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. So there is a sense that he has, past tense, saved us. So if you're, um, uh, if, if you're thinking of um, uh, salvation being a transactional thing, that I am saved when I say the prayer, there is a sense of truth to that in your personal awareness. But there's also a thing in time and space where this happened before the foundations of the world. People get really mad when you kind of share a bigger message of grace than what you may have been told. Uh, if you Listen, if you start preaching hellfire brimstone, angry God stuff, people will hardly ever question you. But if you start sharing a message of grace uh, that is bigger than what your limits might be, you're going to get a lot of kickback. I've gotten kickback, and that's okay. I, now I don't care because... I realized, hang on, I don't have to give an answer to the people complaining. I, I have the answer in me, Jesus, and I live by the life of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I sure hope I get to it. All right, Titus. This is great from the Passion Translation. I love this. It says, when the extraordinary compassion of our God, of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person, that's Jesus, as the brightness of the dawning day or the epiphany. Uh, he came to save us, not because of any virtuous deed that we have done, but only because of his extravagant mercy. He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us uh, richly by Jesus, the Messiah, our life giver. I'm thinking of Rod by the pool. Gail, push him in. Let's make a big splash. <laughs> That's awesome. All three members of the Trinity are mentioned as active participants in our salvation. This is, this is a really big deal. All right? This is when the empowering love of God came. So let me, let me uh, um, uh, remind you of two things. There's a story of Nicodemus showing up to Jesus. Say, hey, uh, how can, uh, whatever, he, he has his questions. And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And he's all confused. And I love how they did in the Chosen series, uh, that one conversation of um, Nicodemus asking. Brilliant. I think the, the actors are great. And I love the way the story is being shared. So if you haven't seen The Chosen yet, go watch it. It's worth every minute. At the very beginning, it might be a little slow and draggy, but that's because they're trying to build uh, and introduce the characters to you. But the story's coming. Um, anyway, back to Nicodemus. Jesus said you must be born again. Well, here's the thing. Uh, based on what we just read, that Jesus came to save us. He died at the cross. He has taken us all into himself and raised us all to new life. The born again has already happened. It wasn't that he was telling Nicodemus, here's something you must do. He didn't. That's not the implication there. I, I never knew that for most of my life. I thought every time we see these uh, uh, signs along the road, you must be born again, repent. Well, that's a transaction that you must do because you do a Harry Potter uh, incantation and whip your little wand. 
that's really what it is, honestly. Um, if you're going to be honest about what the, the special prayer is, the special prayer doesn't save you. You've already been saved. You're waking up to it. There's no way you could say the prayer without Christ being in you already. That's an impossibility. Okay. So when it comes to you must be born again, it has happened. Jesus knew that it was coming. He was speaking to what was about to come. You must be born again. And I'm, I'm, Hey, hang on. I got this. I'm taking care of it for you. <laughs> but he, Jesus also knew Nicodemus, for all of his knowledge, he was just not going to get it. The only way you and I get it today is because of all those who've gone before us. We are receiving the collective continuing knowledge, the growing knowledge, the continued revelation, expanded revelation for 2,000 years. We're still learning. There's much more to learn. All right. But so your little revelation, you think, oh, God told me this. Well, maybe he did, but it ain't new. <laughs> All right. It's it's new to you. And uh, it's pretty exciting. So uh, born again has already happened. Secondly, when Jesus uh, was speaking um, and we talked about this in our Grounds and Grace group um, based on a video from Paul Young, Keith Giles, Baxter Kruger, and Brad Jerzak, they were all talking about end times. And by the way, you got to see this video. I loved it. And if you want to see it, it's a discussion about end times. That is brilliant. It's one of my favorites. But they get into the topic of, um, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, uh, do you remember that verse? You know, um, And once it's ready, I'll come and get you. Uh, and Thomas says, well, and Jesus says, and you know where I'm going and how to get there. And Thomas says, uh, no, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we, how can we know the way? So Jesus is the way. He was the way to Nicodemus, as in Nicodemus. I got you. It's it's. I'm looking forward. I see ahead. You're in. Okay, it's okay. I got this. The whole you got nothing you can do anyway. Same thing here with Thomas doubting uh, Jesus about being the way. The place of many rooms. I go to prepare a place. Uh, um, uh, guess what? You and I are the rooms. We're the rooms, oops, we're the rooms that he's gone to prepare. So that's again, Jesus speaking of what was to come at the cross. He was creating a new creation. We, we were being recreated and he knew that was coming. So there's a lot that points to what Jesus was going to do. And yet we've taken it as a transaction that we must do it in order to become. Just Gah, that's such a legalistic way to see it. And I, I believed that for such a long time. I can never unsee what I see now. And I'm, I, I hope for more. I want to see wider, bigger, deeper, farther, and, uh, and, and just uh, experience the love and joy of God. So this rebirth has happened. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed. I love that word, splashed over us richly by Jesus the Messiah, our life giver. All right, next. Well, if he's done all that, then what does God want from us? Okay. Um, does God need us to serve him and do things for him? Because I grew up in a church world where, um, who was I talking to this week? Somebody was telling me that uh, the church denomination they were part of, I think I remember who it was, um, but, uh, and this is not the only church. There's lots of churches that do this, that on the way out the church, they have this big sign across the top that says, you are now entering the mission field. What? Sounds nice, and I know where they got it from, and it was pretty powerful back then, but what they don't realize is it is 
feeding the performance-driven acceptance and working for God, trying to speed up his second coming by doing this work. Again, misunderstanding of a second coming that's going to be spat up because, oh, we're so powerful. And that happens in our world today, too, with end times, that people are trying to speed up the coming of Christ by allowing the world to destroy itself, not giving a rip about the economy or the ecology of our earth. And yet, true grace points us to care for everything. So there's some horrific theology feeding bad politics in our world. All right. Again, you got to see this video. If I can remember what the video is called, I'll, I'll try and get it ready. But you can message me or email me and I'll send you the link to this really great conversation about end times. Uh, phenomenal. You'll love it. So what does God want from us? Does he want us to serve us? Oh, God needs us to serve him. I remember, I remember uh, um, people saying, you know, we are the only hands that God has. We are the only feet that God has. Uh, but if you're really honest, if that's the mentality, then God must be a paraplegic because it's ineffective. All right. When we do it in our own power, and I'll, I'll explain that as we get going here. Um, but what does God need from us? Does he need us to serve him? The answer is no. God does not need us to serve. It's like having a, a child. So you got someone to mow the lawn when they get older or get married because you want your spouse to do to perform certain duties in the house or outside or fix the car or whatever. No, th this is relational. This is where the Trinitarian love of God and we're included in the Trinity matters. If any separation mentality hinders and affects your perspective, that's why the perspective of who God is and how God sees us matters and how we walk through through all these difficulties, even pandemic stress and, and conflicts that are happening. So what does he want from us? Well, take a look at Acts 17.25. If you're wondering, well, we got to do something for God. No, we don't. It says in Acts 17.25, he supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things and everything he needs. Well, that's kind of humbling. I thought I was so great, some people think, that God needs me. I've had people come to to my church and different churches. You know, they, they spout off all the things that they're gifted in and, and uh, are their gift to the church. <laughs> hey, we've all maybe had those thoughts, okay? it's We can laugh at it now looking back going, oh my goodness, I can't believe I thought like that. But yeah, this is a scary thought. But here, everything God needs, he has. He doesn't need us. He wants us, which could change the pace of everything. In fact, the very beginning of our talk today uh, fits this to a T. All right. The whole idea that it's about being, not our doing. It's better than that. He wants us in an unconditional love relationship. You are unconditionally loved by God. And if anybody puts the word but after that, it ceases to be unconditional love. I've heard it. I've Churchianity, the system of religion, not the true Christian faith, but churchianity and the Christian religion will spout off the idea, yes, unconditional love, but, and they'll put on, have to be accountable, you can't sin anymore, um, you have to repent, you got to pray. Uh, hang on, no, no, no. 
we are all loved. We are all children of God. And I can hardly wait to get to the uh, um, uh, true love drives out fear because that one's going to unpack it more beautifully than I ever thought. So if you want to sneak peek, I think it's I think it's First John 2, I forget. But anyway, well, let's keep going. If Jesus is our model, if what we've been talking about, if Jesus is the model and we are to share his life with the world, what does that look like now? Go with me on this, okay? Wait till the next slide. I got two more things to say, and then I'm, I'm going to highlight something I just said because I never saw it until recently. You'll like this. Uh, if Jesus is the model and we are to share his life with the world, what does that look like? Let's begin by looking at how Jesus lived his life. This was one of the most impactful things uh, when I first began my grace journey, and it's, uh, it still impacts me. Maybe we can see a pattern that will encourage us and lead us into much more freeing way to live day by day. Now, I'm going to, again, I've taught this before, but recently I saw an implication in the first paragraph that, uh, hmm, I didn't realize what it could, how it could be read. Let me share it with you. But even the phrase needs to, needs to be questioned, the one I just gave. If Jesus is our model and we are to share his life with the world, what does that look like? Oh my goodness, I didn't realize even that, while it sounds great, this is this could be a very legalistic thing. This is again implying an ought to. This is uh, if Jesus is our model and we are to share his life. Now I'm putting a condition on this and it could be incomplete. That That is not what I'm suggesting. Therefore, I'm calling this out. I never saw this before. I see it now. That's what I want to say. Uh, are we to share his life? Not as a duty. I think we're going to be the life of Jesus. It's going to be shared and spilled out. So to have to do it, well, now we need a course in that. Now we need a discipleship study on how to be, uh, you know, a model and share his life with the world. Hang on. We need evangelism classes and we need to share how to lead people to Jesus. Is there anything wrong with those? No, but there's an underlying implication of duty. All right. I think that has to go. I, I just don't think there's room for it. It can easily imply a self-effort obligation versus living from a natural flow, as in without planning, without charting, without having the courses in place. Does this make sense? Does Can you see why that should be called out or challenged? I can. If you can't, I'm sorry. Um, but that was kind of like, wow, wait a minute. I never caught that. And I've been using that phrase all the time. So, again, we need to keep tweaking and learning and growing. Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's a powerful verse. That's from the New American Standard Bible. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. That's beautiful. My true life is the anointed one. Oh, I love that. And dying means gaining more of him. That Again, another beautiful way to see that. So again, as we grow in our knowledge of love, of the love of God towards us and realize we are fully accepted and loved, we are going to become messengers. That will be the natural fruit. Let me, our Hope Fellowship's logo is a seed, sapling, and tree. And the idea is to grow up. It's a natural progression. So the seed, naturally, if it's watered, will grow to be a, um, a small little tree that will grow into a larger tree, which will naturally bear fruit and reproduce. Okay? There's no effort. 
I don't hear grunting and groaning from the tree uh, on dark, uh, foggy nights as it tries to produce fruit. Ah, it doesn't happen. So that's the effort I'm talking about. How can we live this abundant life with the same passion as Paul? I think we begin by looking at how Jesus lived his life. Maybe we can see a pattern that will encourage us and lead us into a much more freeing way to live day to day. And I think this is true. So I'm going to start on this and then we'll finish next week on this. But this is how, this is how Jesus communicated it. John 5.30 Nothing I do is from my own initiative. For as I hear the judgment passed by my Father, I execute judgment. And my judgments are perfect because I can do nothing on my own except to fulfill the desires of my Father who sent me. Okay, we're going to pause there and then we're going to, uh, next week we're going to come back to this. I'm going to share this in another translation. Okay, because this sounds kind of odd. Now, what, what do you mean by judgment? What, what is all that? I'm going to explain that. But when you see it in another translation, so even look it up. Go, go online and look this up because it's, it's really good. John 5.30. And then we're going to talk about all the different times that Jesus shares, I'm not doing this on my own initiative. You know that, right? <laughs> so he repeats it a lot of times. So we're going we're gonna to kind of uh, come back to that uh, next week because I think it's a, a really, really good um, theme. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, I know in our in our uh, one small group we were talking about what would Jesus do, and I knew I'd be talking about this. And so next week we're going to continue that and, and also look at what abiding uh, looks like and, and some misunderstandings and some better ways to see what abiding is. So I look forward to that. I hope I hope you were encouraged today um, by our time together. I hope you'll join us next week again. Um, if you're uh, interested this Wednesday morning, eight o'clock in the morning, uh, still growing in grace airs live eight o'clock. Um, we're going to talk about heaven part two. And I think part two is even more exciting, but it's going to be the, what's coming up next after that. As we dig into some uh, scriptures, Hey, what does this mean? Because we talked about hell for a little while. So let's, let's get in some good news. Mind you, when we talked about hell, there was good news because we were dismantling, uh, myths and that was really fun. Better than I thought. But having this conversation about heaven and the afterlife, um, it, it's, it's really good. So uh, 